Hello and welcome to this PSG Think Big series podcast. In this program, Alicia Seckham speaks to Sam Beckbessinger on the future of managing personal finances in a Gen Z world. Hello and welcome to the Think Big series brought to you by PSG. I'm Alicia Second. Now starting the investing journey with your first job or paycheck is a daunting affair. The end goal for most to build wealth or be financially independent, but few of us ever really get there. So what does financial savvy look like in a Gen Z world? Who better to share her thoughts than the author of how to manage your finances like a fucking grown-up. But Sam Bessinger is a writer and a fintech entrepreneur who spent most of the past 10 years building tools to help people manage their money better through her fintech business, Invest Technology. Because Sam, you're never too young to learn. Thanks so much for joining us. And I'm going to start the conversation off a very safe premise. We just don't learn enough about managing money, about personal finance from as early an age as we should. Why not? Oh man, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about so much so that uh, the last book I wrote was a teen version actually of my money, my money guide. But I think even then that's not early enough. Um, I, I think one of the things that we do wrong as an industry, and I worked in the, in the financial services industry for a very long time, is we talk about money as though it's about products. So we talk about retirement annuities and we talk about investing and we talk about insurance and all of these things, but really actually the financial skills that most people need are about things that are much more foundational. It's about how we earn money, how we spend money and how we save money. Those really, really core fundamentals. Um, and I think that those are skills that you can start teaching kids when they're two or three years old, honestly. It's, it's something that as a whole country, I think we all need to do. We all need to be doing better at, at, at every age. So Sam, if we look at that and then apply Gen Z savvy to the equation, what's that approach to personal finance looking like? I mean, I think the first thing is to just have a, a lot of empathy for the context that Gen Zs are entering their working life into, you know. Um, we South Africa's youth unemployment rate is something like 64% right now. Um, we have had a decade of economic under underperformance. So you've got these young people entering the world of work, entering their most crucial years for starting to lay foundations for the rest of their financial lives. And many of them are just struggling to just earn enough money to just get their, their toes on the rungs of the economic ladder. Um, and those ones who are lucky enough to do so, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking to young people about money. And even those who are lucky enough to get a relatively well-paying job often find themselves in a position where from the age of 20 to 22, they are helping to support siblings, they're helping to support cousins, aunts, parents. Um, so there's so much pressure on these young people. And I think that any conversation about Gen Z money has to start just with that 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 kind of love for them and the pressure that they are under because it is a lot. Um, at and the same time, sorry to interrupt, but it's intimidating as well, right? Trying to navigate the jargon, the rules and the regulations, the risks, despite the potential benefits that come with it. And we couple that uh, with the emotion attached to financial decision making, and we're looking at a whole lot of fear and anxiety coming into play as well. Is managing money complicated? 
I mean, I love that question. The thing that I always say is that managing money, we think of money as complicated, but it's really not, but it is hard. But the things that make it hard aren't understanding complex terms. Actually, what makes money hard is exactly to your point, managing your feelings about it. Um, when I think about what financial security looks like, what wealth looks like, for me, it's really about those feelings. It's about feeling secure and comfortable and knowing that you have a plan in your control to get the things that you care about in your life. And that can look very differently for everyone. But really the first steps for us to sort out our finances aren't, you know, go to the bank and open up a new savings account or go, you know, go open an investment account or deal with your debt. The first step really is just being able to emotionally confront the honesty of your real financial situation, which is the first step that people can put off for years and years and years. And this was definitely true for me in my 20s. I got deep, deep, deep down a, a rabbit hole of debt, basically, um, because I was lacking those basic financial skills. And I was the I was the queen of ostriching. I just I would go to the ATM and draw money uh, from my bank account and I would crumple up the slip so that I didn't have to look at how much money was in my bank account. And I would go, you know, I'd go buy groceries and it just hope, you know, that it would that I had enough money in my bank account. And that's really what is hard about that journey, starting that journey um, to managing your money, to feeling in control of your money is managing those feelings of shame and those feelings of self-judgment and getting to the point where you can actually just say, all right, this is the situation. What's a plan that I can make that puts me in control? And that's emotional work. It's not complex. You make it sound very easy, but it's easier said than done. How do we practically go about flipping the script here, Sam, and get more people to understand this and actually develop a culture of savings in South Africa? So I think it really comes down to understanding what are the, the core, most important basic financial skills, because it turns out that there really are, I would say, three or four ideas or principles of how money works that it's really, really important to understand. And it can take you a couple of hours of, you know, watching some videos, reading a book, however you learn best um, to learn and understand those basic principles. And once you understand those principles, that will unlock everything that you, you really need to understand about how money works, right? And those basic, basic principles for me are understanding firstly how how to make money like how does money make money and that's understanding what assets are understanding how to grow money and that means understanding compound interest understanding how you keep your money safe which is understanding a term which is diversification and then lastly understanding debt and under, which is the shadow side of compounding um and you know those are really four ideas four principles that i think people can understand that will make it so much easier for them to make every other financial decision in their lives. I think really bringing it back to basics is where we begin. We'll be delving deeper into some of those principles in just a bit. Before we do, though, you talk about principles, but accessibility is an issue as well. Are you not coming in at this from a position of privilege? The reality for the average young South African is that you can't talk savings and investment if you're simply trying to make ends meet and you alluded to this even at the top yes you as sam may deal with the burden of tax but you don't have the added pressure of something like black tax to contend with 
Absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, South Africa is one of the most unequal countries in the world. Um, you know, and it, it, tragically, it has only the wealth inequality in South Africa has only increased in the last two decades. Um, and I think that any kind of any any time we talk about finances, we have to come in from the beginning, understanding that that is the context and people have a huge diversity of, of challenges that they're facing. Um, and, and, you know, because money is so personal, it's so much about your life and the specific things that you want in your specific family dynamics. There really are no one size fits everyone, you know, like here's the plan you should follow for your money, which is another reason that I think starting with principles is so important because it, the principles of understanding compounding can either work for you or against you, no matter how much money you're managing, right? And I think that it's that's another reason to really return back to those those basics about money, which are fairly universal. But then there is a lot of work that people have to do to you know kind of bring it into their own context and understand you know because you can't you can't especially in a country like south africa give blanket advice about money ever because exactly to your point it is such an unequal society where people are facing such vastly different challenges okay so sam let's tackle the power of compound interest at this point because like you say it's one of the basic principles around saving and investing so break it down for us i think if there's one thing a young person listening to this conversation needs to walk away with yeah, it's understanding this concept okay so i actually love to tell a story about compounding because understanding the math can get really alienating but i think just understanding how powerful compound compounding can be is the important part of it so to illustrate how powerful compounding can be, um, I want you to imagine that a vampire, I'm obsessed with vampires, so like Edward Cullen from Twilight, um, I want you to imagine that he went to a bank uh, 200 years ago and he put 200 rand in a normal savings account earning 6% interest every year, which is you know fairly normal savings account. If he forgot about that money, he never added another cent to that 200 rand in his savings account. And he went back 200 years later. What has happened because of the way that money grows and it grows exponentially. So the money that you put in, it grows, but then also the growth grows. But the result of it is that that 200 Rand over 200 years turns into a billion Rand. That's, that's what happens, right? Now, what compounding means for us in, in effect is that the single most powerful factor in how money grows is time. It's not how much you put in and it's not even the rate at which it multiplies. It's time. It's how long you can leave it. And even though, you know, you're probably not a vampire, people listening to this probably, and probably not immortal, you probably don't have 200 years. Um, all of us need to be thinking about um, our, our old age and our retirement, you know, um, or in for other people thinking in a different line of thinking about intergenerational, building intergenerational wealth for their families, so thinking about their children. Um, and, and I think that single thing, so understanding that time is the single most important factor with money is such an important thing to understand because it works against you as well. Um, so South Africans, like middle-income South Africans, a lot of the most um, kind of pressing issues when I talk to people, it's about debt. And one of the it, you take to, take to pay back most kinds of debt the more expensive that thing is that you're buying. And that becomes true on a, on, a, on, a, on a scale that isn't intuitive for people. Compound interest is incredibly powerful 
And it means that time is the single most important factor with money. Sam, as much as we explain that side of the coin, I feel like we have an obligation to look at the other side too, where there are associated costs. Mm. And a full understanding of what your financial plan is costing is crucial to ensuring that it isn't eating away at your own potential returns, especially if you're going to come up against the challenge of inflation over a 200-year period. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so this is one of the biggest things is that, um, you know, retirement products are a place where you often see this uh, because you're looking at long time scales where it becomes really, really crucial. So on average, uh, money invested in the South African stock market grows at about 7% every year compounded. Okay. Which means it takes about 10 years for your money to double. And that's, that, that's above inflation. Um, now, on some types of retirement products, the fees you pay on, on old school products, and the industry's done a good job make, improving this, but there are still some of these products around, you could be paying 4% on a retirement fund, which doesn't sound like a lot of money. If you just hear 4%, you're like, that's not very big. But 4% is more than half of 7%. And this is what can happen, is that for retirement products specifically, if you are paying fees that are too high, People could have diligently been saving every single month from their first paycheck, get to retirement age, look at the value of their savings and find that more than half of what they should have has actually just gone to, you know, it's just been lost to them and they've not gotten the value from it. And this is one of the reasons it's really important to make sure that you're getting good advice from people um, and that you understand what you're investing in. These things, yeah. it's very easy for us to not want to think about these things, but specifically fees, it's one of those things where you could spend an hour, one day of the year and save yourself, you know, half of your final retirement pot. It's a worthwhile way to spend an hour. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, those are the basics that you've got to get right before you venture forward, right? Even once you fully grasp those concepts, Sam, we've had... Uh, you know, many conversations with young people and researching for your books and researching to develop the apps that you have about money management as well. What do they highlight as the biggest hurdle that they've got to clear? And how do you solve for that? Yeah, so I think for most people, it's literally just getting out of the month to month, paycheck to paycheck way of thinking about your money. Um, and to be honest, uh, Time Bank uh, did a great research study a few years ago uh, that it's called more month than money, uh, which looked at how many South Africans even make it to the end of the month on a single paycheck employed South Africans and find that most of us run out of money by the 15th. So it's not even making it to the 30th, right? So I found that, you know, speaking to, to people, even when they are employed, even when they have some money that they're managing, it's about getting from that, that mindset of only how do I make it to the next paycheck to zoom out a little bit, to think about a bigger picture of what are the things that you really value in your life and is your money working hard to support those goals? Um, because I think that's the thing about money. It should be there to enable the things that you want. But if we, if we aren't thinking about that, it's very easy for money to disappear. Um, and there's some very pragmatic steps that, you know, when I speak to people, they find very helpful. And the first one is just to start tracking your money. Um, and this is emotionally difficult, really. Um, there's some great automatic tools that help you to do that in South Africa. Okay, so you've been building tools and apps, right? So people do manage their money better. So yeah. how much of the solution that you're talking about or you're going to uh, uh, 
let us in on here comes with technology in breaking these barriers to entry, so to speak, and is tech the language that Gen Z needs to be spoken to yet? I think partly. I think it's part of the solution, but it's not the whole solution. You know, I think we also need people. We also need to have them conversations. But I do think specifically for younger people, the tech helps because, I mean, you don't need an app to track your spending. You can also just do it manually and spend some time going through your bank statement and actually just seeing where your money has gone. But the reality is people don't do that. I didn't do that. I'm lazy. Most people are lazy. <laughs> um, and, you know, when apps can just take those little hurdles away, if it means that it's easier for some people to do that first crucial step of actually just understanding where their money is going, that's a win, right? And there yeah. have been an, there's been a great crop of new apps coming up in South Africa in the last few years. Um, it, it, we do have to be careful, though, specifically with Gen Z, because one of the, the great things about Gen Z is they're super connected. But the shadow side of that is that there's a lot of advice that they're getting on social media platforms, for example. It's not all good advice. Um, and, you know, there was a tragic story uh, in 2020 of a young man uh, in America who'd been using one of these investing apps. And it's great that investing is so easy now. You can just do it on an app. You can do it with 20 bucks if you need to. But he'd gotten himself into uh, what looked like in the app uh, $700,000 worth of loss on, on his investments. And, and, you know, tragically, that young man took his own life because he was so upset by this experience. So I think it's also important that we recognize with this access, it's extra important that specifically with young people, we make sure that we're educating them, that they understand the basic principles of what they're doing. They're not investing in things that they don't understand and they're not falling for get-rich-quick schemes because there are yeah. also a lot of those out there. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you, uh, Sam. You know, people are getting caught and swept up in get-rich-quick schemes. So how do you know the difference between growing and protecting your money versus getting caught up in a risky fad or trade? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think, again, just having empathy. You know, so many young people feel like they have no other way to earn money. So it's so seductive when someone comes and promises you this is an easy way to make money. I think the first thing is there is no such thing as an easy and guaranteed way to make money. And if anyone ever tells you that there is, they are lying to you. Um, there are some specific signs you can look out for to tell if something is a scam. Uh, the first one is just how, how urgently is someone trying to sell it to you? Um, that's, that's actually kind of, a, kind of an important one. Um, the other one is that um, the best performing asset class you know, in history is uh, the stock market, which has earned 7% above inflation every year on average. If anyone ever promises you guaranteed returns that are higher than that, they are lying to you. That's, that's, a, that's a number. And the other thing to do is to do some homework. So do a quick Google, make sure that whatever you're investing in is regulated if you can help it. Um, usually with the financial services board, they should, you should be able to check on their websites if something is regulated. But with a lot of the scams, if you just do a Google, you'll find other people talking about it. Um, and I think that it's just really important to, to do that before you, before you get into any waters. So Sam, all of that being said, I've got two words for you. Cryptocurrency. Your take? So I do believe that there is some very exciting technology in the scope of cryptocurrency that over the long run may be very impactful in how the financial world works. 
But that is very, very, very different to asking the question, is it a good idea to right now go and buy any of the specific cryptocurrencies or crypto assets that are that exist, right? Because it is still such early days in this space. And I, and I know that a lot of people are lured in again by, you know, the promises of these really big returns very quickly. It looks like it can be a way to make money fast. Um, and there's a lot of FOMO, right? Where, you know, I started investing in crypto back in 2013. And there was this enormous FOMO of if I don't get in now, you know, look at my friends buying Porsches in some cases. But I think it's really important to acknowledge it is still an incredibly speculative space. We don't know yet whether any of the particular currencies that you could be buying, many of them will be worth nothing a few years from now. Some of them might not. I, I can't look into the, into the future and I don't know for sure. My general advice for cryptocurrency is don't invest more than you can afford. You can't afford to lose. So Absolutely. even for me, I've been investing since 2013. I've worked in that space. I, even me, only make sure that I never have more than 5% of my investments in crypto. The number might be different for you, but just make sure that you, you have a real limit on it. It's speculative. And so even when you've got all of that figured out, right, your financial plan is going to shift as you get older. Needs shift, priorities shift, retirement age which you mentioned creeps up on you. And in most instances, uh, family needs and security becomes a priority as well. So we aren't looking at a rigid set in stone financial plan here. These plans need to evolve and move through cycles. At what point do you move beyond the simple and tackle you know, managing share portfolios, diversification, offshore exposure, discretionary mm -hmm. versus voluntary? I mean, there's a whole universe out there. So you know, the funny thing is when I, when I wrote my book, which is very basics, it's, it's very much here are the basics of money. I targeted it in my mind at people in their twenties in their first jobs, but the most thankful emails that I got were people in their fifties and people in their sixties saying, I never knew these things. And now I understand them and no one ever explained these things to me. So I would actually say that it, even more important when you're the assets that you're managing are larger and much more complicated it's even more important to understand the foundations because most people don't because when do we teach people about money in this country i you know i didn't get a single class on compound interest in high school i got 55 classes on shakespeare not a single one on compounding um, and I think, you know, so firstly, I think no matter where you are in your financial journey, I think understanding the basics still absolutely matters. Um, definitely, as your life gets more complicated, there comes a time when getting really good advice is crucial for most people. But if you don't understand, if you don't have your own plan and your own sense of what your finances look like and how they work, you will never be able to tell if you're getting good advice or you're not getting good advice. You'll never be able to know if you're asking the right questions and you'll never be able to identify when someone is telling you what's good for them because they're getting good commissions or they, they want to sell you a product or they're telling you what's right for you because there is all kinds of advice around finances, good and bad advice. So you need to make sure that you also understand what your money is doing. You can't entirely leave it up to someone else. Then the age-old question, Sam, how much money is enough? What's the happy equilibrium that will support your financial freedom? Do you have the How answer? much money is enough is just a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's the eternal question. And I think bringing it all the way back to 
It's about really being clear with yourself about what you value. And this, it's the hardest question of all, right? Like, what do you actually want in your life? Because life is finite and the money that you will earn in your life is finite. It, whether it's a big number or a small number, it's limited, which means that you have to make choices. And so it's important that you, you have a sense for yourself about what matters to you and make sure that your money is supporting those values. Then I'm going to wrap this conversation up now a little differently than we usually do with 10 rapid fire questions. I know that this is a very hard ask, but bearing in mind that we're working against a ticking clock here, rapid fire. Are you ready? Shoot. What's the rule of thumb for saving? Uh, It depends on your own goals, but probably at minimum, at least 10 to 15% of your pre-tax income. Best advice you've heard on investing in a recession and protecting your retirement savings? Don't make any rash decisions. Have a long-term plan and stick to your long-term plan. Is investing in your home loan of value, paying it off faster to save on interest, or do you fix the interest rate on your bond instead? So fixing an interest rate on your bond probably won't save you as much money as you think it will, because the bank will offer you a higher amount than a variable rate. Um, Investing in property on paper financially, it's usually better to rather diversify and put some of your investments in something like a diversified stock market fund. Um, but there are emotional reasons to do things sometimes that are not financial reasons. Some people really value not having debt, and that's a very personal question. The financial answer is usually rather diversify. Okay, and then this leads us into the next question. I grew up thinking that I needed to buy property and save to help secure myself financially. That's where we've got the emotion. How would this change for my children? It's probably still the answer, where in the world and what type of dwelling are we looking at? If not, what else and what combination? Uh, I would say that there are three reasons to buy property. The first one is to think of it as an asset. The second one is to save money on your housing costs over your lifetime. And the third one is for emotional reasons. It's good to buy a house for emotional reasons if you care about it. That's just answers itself. Uh, You do save money on your housing costs, but only by buying a property but only if you stay there on average in South Africa for nine years. Um, If you're going to move more quickly than that, it's actually often better to rent. Um, And and residential homes that you live in are actually the worst kind of property investment. Um, So I would actually really strongly suggest to people, don't think of your home that you live in as your retirement plan, please. It's not the best form of asset you probably need another plan on top of it, but there are other reasons to buy property. Um, Other things to invest in, my favorite is global ETFs, but it very much depends on your own goals and you should get proper advice about it. Okay, so I was going to ask you, (laughs) would you rather invest in shares than South African property? But I guess we've got our answers there. How do you trade on the stock market? Uh, (laughs) Carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Good good answer, safe answer. And that's, that's the imperative, right? What do you predict financial planning will look like in the next two decades? I think that we'll see um, a combination of expert advice, hopefully paid, where advice where the costs that you're paying are more clearly disclosed to customers, so it's clearer. 
what you're actually paying for advice. We'll see a combination of that and far more peer-to-peer -peer information, which is already starting to happen. Um, I definitely think financial advice will remain crucial and to the industry. Um, and But I'm excited to see ways that it will become more accessible to more people in different kinds of financial contexts. So you see financial products keeping up? I think that they'll develop and evolve, but for sure, people need advice. It's complicated. Um, well, it's not complicated, but it's hard. And sometimes having someone to talk to about these things really does help. Sam, the youth of today don't want to wait until they retire to enjoy their money. They want it now. Do we need to put that idea to bed? I think we do, um, I, but I think the way to do that is, again, for young people to really understand compound interest. So to understand the opportunity cost of spending your money now is that it could have been much more valuable in the long run. And we're not just talking, you know, twice as much. We're talking, you know, a lot, a lot more. Um, so I think understanding is how we solve this question. We're not just saying, you know, scold, 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 you should be waiting. We're, we're helping them to understand why we're saying that, I think is important. Um, but also it's important to enjoy your 20s. So there is a balance to be struck. Uh, it, it's nice to spend money sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Bottom line, how do you create generational wealth? Going back to the basics, understanding the foundational principles of how money works and making sure that you take that time to work through the difficult feelings and figure out what you actually want your money to do for you. And with that, Sam Bessinger, let's leave it there. It's been awesome chatting to you. And to those watching, remember, this webinar is available via podcast. The series is free, it's shareable, it's open to anyone interested, whether you're a PSG client or not. The social media campaign is hashtag ThinkBigPSG. Do look out for our next speaker in the Think Big series. For now, Goodbye.